Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours, Episode 3, Rob here. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. On this episode, you just can't keep a good guy down. We are going into our Child's Play mega series with our first of seven episodes focused on that horror franchise. This one featuring Brie Asmoudet from the Geeky Waffle as we talk about 1988's Child's Play. But exactly how do you start a franchise about a killer doll, voodoo, all kinds of, of wild story directions and themes? Let's find out right now with our talk about Child's Play. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. After a couple weeks of doing one-off episodes, we did the Ace Ventura franchise, if you can call that two and a half movies a franchise, and the Mortal Kombat franchise, a similar deal. We are starting our first mega series, and for this ongoing one episode per movie deep dive into a long-running movie franchise, I, I felt like the perfect contender for this was the Child's Play or Chucky franchise. Just because we have over 30 years of movies the new show starting up this fall. As I was saying with my guests before this, this conversation started, every movie is a conversation. And here to start us off with 1988's Child's Play is Brie from the Geeky Waffle. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. So the, the last time we talked on one of my podcasts, we also did the, I believe, the first movie of a long-running franchise, uh, yeah. it, which is weird because, because <laughs> it feels like that movie, that that series has its visionary, if you want to call her that. And this one has Don Mancini as co-writer of this film and writer of every sequel and, and creator of the, the Chucky show that's starting up. And yet I feel like, the creator of the Killer Doll series seems more <laughs> accepting, less full of hate than the creator of the the Wizarding series. That's supposed to be about she acceptance should, and coming not together. Not should be made. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so weird. But I always feel like this. Like in high school, I always found the more like goth kids to be more accepting of everyone, and so That's I feel true. like the horror genre lends itself to be accepted by vastly everyone. And then, like now, with um the Wizarding Worlds and its ego, and then the real mean spirit <laughs> comes out. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, I wonder if part of that is just because like the goth kids, going back to your analogy, are more persecuted, and so they've had to face that adversity more so. And Don Mancini coming from this, the perspective of a gay man. And, yeah. and later on, when he really takes the, the reins of the franchise, Bride of Chucky is the last one that he doesn't direct. And then he did Seed, Curse, and Cult. He, he started, he just did a video recently on social media where he was talking about how, like, from Bride on, he's integrating LGBT 
LGBTQ themes and and elements into the franchise. And I think you could see that pretty blatantly all the way yeah. through to spoilers, the end of Cult, where Viona Dorof is like making out with Jennifer Tilly on their way out of town, bounce style. And and it's it's interesting to to see him bring more and more of himself in this franchise where later on it gets really wacky with the comedy. There's, there's. Uh, oh yeah. Like, it, it Chucky evolves into this like camp culture, which I love. I, I love camp horror. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it goes from this, uh, this iteration of the franchise with Chucky and Andy as the first three, then it's Chucky and Tiffany where it's really their story. It's really from their perspective. And, yeah. and then the last two where you bring, it's a soft reboot, but not really tying all seven films together. And, and it really, it's really shifts a great deal, which is why I, I knew this franchise would be a really fun one to talk about. But before we get to your thoughts about this franchise uh, in general, tell people a little bit about what you all are, are doing over at the Geeky Waffle these days. I know you have like, what is it? 7,500 shows going right now. <laughs> Yeah, we are adding a million. We actually just added uh, two new shows to our network. One is a Taylor Swift podcast called Starbucks Lovers, and that's hosted by Maggie Lovett. And then a new one is called A Fight Club Far, Far Away, and that's hosted by Katrina Dennis. And that is all about the fights that happen in Star Wars and comparing, contrasting fighting styles and all that. So those two are are going to be very cool. So definitely check them out. And a little tidbit, I do the intros for both of those shows, which I'm super excited for. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's So I hope I hope this isn't going too far behind the scenes. You, you're obviously interested in voice acting. This franchise is hugely dependent on Brad Dourif as a yes. voice actor who's been doing Chucky since 1988, still today in 2021, which I I feel like has to be a record for the longest time an actor has been playing at least a horror icon. Maybe some of the classic universal ones might be rivaling that. It's it's, going to be a close race, but it's... So I guess leaning into your history with the franchise, I guess we could start by talking about Brad Dourif and his... He's like, I think the first person we see in this series on the run from the cops in here as Charles Lee Ray. So what are your thoughts on Brad Dourif as Chucky? And then when, what was your introduction to the Child's Play franchise? (laughs) All right. Well, obviously he has such an iconic voice. If you hear his voice, you know, like, Hey, that that's the the killer doll. That's Chucky, (laughs) which I think is really commendable to having such like an impact as a iconic killer to have people like, instantly recognize that voice that could possibly haunt your dreams. My my introduction, I I don't know. I think I was like home alone or by myself at this particular moment. I was flipping willy-nilly through the channels and I see two kids running in a factory. And I was uh. like, hmm, I guess I'll just continue watching this. And then this killer doll pops out with a knife I was terrified (laughs) and I demanded my mother take all the dolls away out of my room because I were, I was convinced they were going to come alive and kill me. (laughs) (laughs) So funny enough, I thought that that was the first movie child's play. And because I realized I have, I never saw the first movie. I never saw it after that. Really? where it traumatized me. I've only seen 
bride of Chucky on. Ah, okay. And so I accidentally saw the second movie. And the second movie is what scared me because when I was watching this movie, I was waiting for Andy's friend. And I was like, where's the little blonde girl? And I realized, oh, it's a different movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only other movie with with Alex Vincent as Andy, too. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. As a little boy, at least I should say, but yeah. Right. So okay, so so then you were you saw you caught 1990s Child's Play too in that fateful moment, which is funny because all those fears that you had flipping through the channels <laughs> five years later, Pixar would be like, yeah, but what if they weren't evil? What if they were just trying to live their life and trying to win for the attention of a boy named Andy, but not trying to kill him? I know. I was like, was this made for me? <laughs> <laughs> like, because I also remember another like killer doll movie. What was that one called? It, There's been I so in the 80s, right around the time Child's Play, there were all these like small, like uh, stealth killers. There was like the Critters movies and all that crap. Oh, yeah. In the, in the 80s, that was a huge deal. And I've and I've had this people hear us, me talking about this later on in, the, in this series when we get further down into the franchise. But I feel like if it hadn't been for a bride of Chucky, I feel like that's the movie that really established Chucky as an as an icon. Because I could have easily. That's the one movie yeah, I was like, well, I guess maybe I'll watch it. And honestly, I liked it, and I was like, oh, I'm not scared of him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah. like I watched it when I was like way older too. Like I. I would honestly, that one scene in Child's Play 2 scared the bejeebus out of me to the point where I did not want to see any of them. I think that's the sequence where he's realized that it's too late to transfer into Andy's body. So now he's just trying to kill Andy because he's pissed off. Yeah. If I remember correctly, I think that sounds like what what <laughs> moment in Child's Play 2 you're talking about. So it's like Chucky as pure vengeance at that point. Yeah. Uh, and he's like chasing them to the factory, which obviously is creepy to begin with. But before Tiffany, before this really heavy lean into macabre sense of humor and all of that, we start with 1988's Child's Play, which is just pretty much a straightforward killer doll movie, if if that even makes sense. In the first place, it's directed by Tom Holland, not that one, not Spider-Man. That would be amazing if Tom Holland directed a movie in 1988. Well, Um, then he would have resurrected himself like Chucky. That's true. Down the way. (laughs) That's true. He's, uh, those voodoo spells, they come in handy, switch bodies. (laughs) And he also, he actually directed Fright Night before this with Chris Sarandon. So there's that connection there. So this was written by Don Mancini, John Lafia, and Tom Holland also co-wrote it. And and this is the only one that is owned uh, or was distributed by MGM, which is why MGM was able to do that remake in 2019. They don't own the rights to any of the sequels, just the original film. So Universal is going forward with the Chucky show and six sequels and keeping the, the whole like team together and MGM's just going for the for the cash in. So before we, I guess before we go to here, Quick thoughts on the 2019 remake, which we're not really giving its own episode since it doesn't share continuity with this. I I hate CGI with a fiery, <laughs> fiery passion. And the look of Chucky just kills me. I think he scares me. Like the, the act of them using CGI scares me more than Child's Play, the movie. <laughs> yeah, I like CG when it's used wisely, but I mean... So yeah. much of the time, they're just like, oh, we'll just, we'll just fix it in post. We'll just put CG in there. And I, and I really, it makes 
practical effects stand out so much more when it when they actually do go that route now when they actually do use when they actually do use puppetry or even we were talking briefly like in the 80s when they did stop motion at least that has a certain charm and novelty to it it feels more tangible because there is something actually there they're not inventing things whole cloth and yeah i think it's it's a testament to how how well practical effects works that for example the mandalorian went back to using a puppet for grogu for baby yoda which as is opposed perfect to the, yeah yeah as opposed to mm-hmm. the cg yoda that they did in the in the latter two prequels and i think oh, it yeah. works so much more it it absolutely brings that character to life when i was i really was interested in how they did the puppet in the 80s uh that puppetry work for chucky and it it's creepy it holds up if i was however old i was like what like six or whatever and i saw that puppet again like yes i want to throw every doll away every doll away looking at the 2019 one i'm just like that's really supposed to scare me yeah it It has no life to it yeah it just has no life to it there's I I love how they did the puppetry work for this movie. It's creepy. I mean, <laughs> there is that one part where Chucky's walking across the elevator like hallway and it's graded. And I feel like mm-hmm. they definitely had like someone in a costume. Yeah, absolutely. You can, <laughs> I was you can, like, <laughs> you can show you can tell you can see the seams when you watch it with a critical eye. You're like, okay, yeah. so that's a little person with a Chucky mask. <laughs> That's just like the close-up of of a child's hand or whatever with like a plastic makeup on it or whatever. Also, just the way that they creatively shoot around things. I, I was even noticing this towards the end when Chucky gets his head knocked off and he's his body is like strangling the the other cop, not Chris Saranda, not Mike, the other cop that comes yeah. in. And and you hear the head go, strangle him, kill him. Blah, blah, blah. You you can clearly see off to the side either the head's mouth not moving. Or they show you everything in the room but Chucky's head for yeah. like most of that sequence. And so little things like that, you're like, okay, I, they're working with the limitations. But again, they're finding creative ways around it and they're making it work to the best of their abilities. Like the the obvious the obvious comparison being the shark in Jaws, where mm-hmm. uh, in the first movie, it's effective because you don't see it constantly. And when you do see it, he finds a way to present it that it looks as best as it could look. And meanwhile, you get to like Jaws 3D and it looks like it's just pasted over, yeah. over the scene. And I think you can see some of the seams here and obviously the puppetry work gets gets better as the, the series continues. But I, I think it's it does hold up for the most part what they do here. It does. It stands out. And that first head tilt that Chucky does uh, it brought me chills and I was like oh no <laughs> like I still hate dolls <laughs> I don't like it <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely like his and, eyes and he, really stand out yeah and, and they, they think that it's it's also a it, it also works I think the best here because we haven't seen a child's flame. We haven't seen Chucky on screen before. So in this movie has the advantage of being the first one and therefore they can hold Chucky back as much as they do, where I don't even think you see him speak until, yeah, like 45 minutes in. Lots yeah. of seeing from his perspective, a lot of little subtle movements like the eyes, checking that uh, 
he look, oh, I think he's in the room with Andy. He's in bed with Andy and he like, looks over and sees the mom's shadow in the doorway. And he's like, all right, well, I'm just going to be like, I like to be hugged. And he stays in character during that moment. It's a lot of little subtle things that we can suspect what's going on, but it, it, it's harder and it gets harder to justify that the more the series goes on where I, yeah. in Curse of Chucky, they pull a similar thing. And I cut that movie a little bit of slack because it is a reintroduction to the franchise in a way. But yeah, yeah I think- sure. Yeah, they're able to mine the suspense of that. Which I loved. I love thinking Andy is crazy when he's just talking to Chucky. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm just talking to Chucky. And you're like, well, are you okay, buddy? (laughs) (laughs) I think Alex Vincent is actually pretty good in here as far as child actors are concerned. He's obviously, he's new at this because he's like six, seven years old when they're making this movie. And he's a super cute kid. I I like right off the bat, they establish his relationship with his mother and he's, it's his birthday and he's presenting her with the worst breakfast in bed imaginable. Does her toast get that burnt? It's like kids. Who wants, oh, he's, he's shoveling <laughs> multiple spoons of sugar in the in the cereal and oh, then dragging it across the floor and like orange juice and everything dripping. Anyway, <laughs> I I love that the heart of this movie really because really boils down to that that mother son dynamic and I think that wouldn't work if you didn't have an actor as strong as Catherine Hicks. I think she really sells every moment of this movie she's she's anchoring it down she is the protagonist essentially i mean chucky's after andy but it's really all presented from karen's uh perspective a lot of it it's her trying to solve the mystery of is her son crazy like what is that what is that situation like where you don't want you you are looking for a, a rational explanation for what could be going on rather than your child has had a psychotic break uh, and murdered the babysitter, your best friend. And I, I love the way that she navigates that throughout the course of this movie. Yeah. And it's funny too, because the first, so I did like play this for some of my friends because I was like, yeah, I'm going to watch the first Chucky movie. And they're like, oh yeah, I want to watch it. I was like, okay. All of us are like, is that the mom from Seventh Heaven? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. And that one moment where she brings Chucky back to the apartment, which I would have left that doll at the station, <laughs> I feel like. I would have been like, you can keep this as evidence. I don't need it. But that's just me. <laughs> yeah. But she's she takes Chucky back to the apartment and she's just like, talk, damn it. Talk, you bastard. Come on, talk. I said talk to me, damn it. All right. I'm going to make you talk. I said talk to me, damn it, or else I'm going to throw you in the fire. You stupid bitch, you filthy slut. Did you fuck with me? Like, oh my gosh. That's a good scene. There's seven of these movies. I guarantee you mentioned Child's Play to most fans, and that will be one of the one easily one of the most iconic moments of the series. It's the first time he basically like comes out to one of his victims and it goes toe-to-toe with them. And you have the battery 
revealed leading up to that where she goes and, and grabs the box and the batteries fall out and then she checks the panel on his back and it opens it up and the head spins around and she has that like great reaction scream to it. Yes. So good. It's so, so good. and it does hold up. Like it's not cheesy. It is. It's frightening. <laughs> yeah. And you day. wouldn't think so. You wouldn't think so now in 2021 going back and watching a killer doll movie from the eighties. You'd be yeah. like, well, this is going to be cheesy as hell. And it's, not like at, at all. It works like it works as a legit thriller. There's no real there's really no comedy in here for the most part. There's some obviously just the the dark humor of seeing a, a doll walking around looking like a I guess a my buddy would be the, the closest real life uh, real life comparison. The my buddy dolls from the 80s, which looked similar to this. It's got a little bit of my buddy mixed with cabbage patch mixed with like, I don't know, raggedy Ann. There's a little bit of everything going right. on. Right. I think my mom had a raggedy Ann or a cabbage patch doll in my room. And I was like, absolutely not get it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the, there's the, the thing early on where uh, you, you see Andy watching the good guys TV show. And that's something that the sequels shy away from, like, obviously they referenced the good guys. Oh, those the good guys, those were those dolls, but were really big in the eighties. It was a sensation, but they didn't, they don't really touch on how much there was like a TV show. There was a serial. There was like all these, it was a whole yeah. franchise of, of merchandise tied in with these characters. And just from, from the doll you see on the TV, it already looks creepy ready without having, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. A soul in it. Uh, Oh, I know that that would have frightened me. I've been like, I don't want to watch this show anymore because of that. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I, I think it works because Andy is, is establishes Andy's like basically Lonely. six years old. And he's at barely maybe at the right age where a six year old might have a doll talking to them and be like, well, this seems normal. Right. <laughs> I think yeah, if he was okay. like any older, that wouldn't fly. He would be like, Mom, this doll, this something's going on. He yeah. just rolls with it and just like, well, Chucky wants to watch the news. And I feel like this whole movie was really inspired out of that whole thing of kids denying that they're misbehaving. And like, well, what did Chuck? Well, Chuck didn't do it. Chucky did it. Yes. That's the classic parent response of, oh, you know, what did the, what did Chucky do? Get up and do it by himself. And I feel like Don yeah. Mancini must have heard that somewhere. I was like, oh shit, that's a good idea. I know, right? I was like, dang, all right. I love that. I love that moment too where um, Aunt Maggie is definitely R. turned R. off that TV, tucked them in, which again, I would not want that doll sleeping next to me, but Andy <laughs> likes it. <laughs> and then seeing him just sitting propped up watching the news and having that realization of how did this happen? And clearly it couldn't have been the doll. It must have been Andy. Right. Only logical explanation. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. It is. It's great. And it's. I think it particularly resonates with me because I was born in 83. So I would have been five when this movie came out, when Andy's supposed to oh, be six. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm, I'm turning 38. Uh, actually, when by the time this goes up, I'll be 38 and Alex Vincent is 40. So we're like lockstep. Like I'm exactly almost in the Andy range. But you didn't range, watch so it I was, when you were six, right? No, of course not. God, no. <laughs> I saw this one. I think I all the way through. I don't remember when the first time I saw it. It was one of those things like 
like Nightmare on Elm Street that was so prevalent in the 80s and 90s, even before even before I watched these kinds of movies, I would go to mm-hmm. the video store and I'd be intrigued with the horror section and I'd like look flip over to the back of the box. and be like, whoa, that looks crazy. Put it back down and walk down to the next one. And so I, it's one of those things that I've just always been aware of. And seeing the seeing this movie now, it's it's just as a parent, especially, I I get a whole new appreciation for it because Karen is a great mom because she doesn't like like she doesn't immediately be like, oh man, Andy, we we hardly knew you. She's trying to do everything she can to find out what's going on with him. She asks him after about about what happened with Aunt Maggie, and she like snaps at him, and he's like. And he says, are you yelling at me because of what happened to Aunt Maggie? And they have this moment of connection. She's a great mom in this movie. And I think that that's something that go, doesn't get recognized as much because she's really like, I, I was impressed watching it. Like, yeah, she like calls out Andy for, for making yeah. this up. It, it's a movie that if you're watching it as a parent of a small child, you're like, well, why, are we, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you out trying to find out what's going on with this doll? Or why aren't you chasing the killer doll down the elevator? Because that your child is going to be blamed for all these murders if you can't present an, an alternative explanation. All of it makes sense from Karen's perspective. And she's so the focal point of this movie that I think that's it's really key that we're on board with every decision she makes. Yeah, I I like that it's through her perspective as well, Um, because she goes through that struggle, too. Like you were saying, it's like, my son has to be lying, but I don't want to think that he would do this. Right. And then having that realization where my son is being taken to get treated in a mental institute. Mm -hmm. So is this doll talking to me? Is there something I'm missing? And it's, I love that too, because she laughs like after she yells at Chucky that first time (laughs) before she gets the box and actually goes, oh, my son isn't lying. He's actually telling the truth. Before that moment of realization, she laughs at, she's like, I'm yelling at a doll because I'm trying to save my son. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very powerful, powerful moment. It's, yeah, it is a, it's, there are powerful moments in this killer doll movie. It's a really simple, focused, smart story mm-hmm. for a, beginning for a franchise that really goes off the rails. And I mean that as a compliment later on in the franchise, because if they had done this same thing, it wouldn't have times, worked. Oh, it would not have worked. It had to uh-uh. evolve past this. They did this with two. And I think it works in two because of, because of the, the fact that the foster family is not, they, they don't really owe Andy anything. Like his mom has has a, an obligation, a responsibility for him. The foster family could just be like, eh, this kid crazy and send him back. And I think that what makes that work is Andy being off on his own, Andy having more agency, and also the heart of that movie really being his friendship with Kyle, the aforementioned little girl that that helped help yeah. you out as a child in that scene. And, <laughs> and I think here it's really about that mother child dynamic and and it this is the only one that really has that element at the heart of it later on it it still continues to be about trauma i love how this movie ends the final shot is andy freeze frame looking back in the room where chucky was and us as viewers realizing this experience is going to mess this kid up like by the time you get to the the more recent movies he is not he is not a well-adjusted adult man basically no, and I, and I think after going through an experience like that, you you wouldn't be. Of course. 
a killer doll coming after you, how many people are going to believe you? Well, that's the, that's the magic trick that this movie plays. When that that other cop whose name I don't have on hand, when he's right. like, yeah, he's like, oh, now do you believe me? Chris Sarandon, Mike says to him, and he's like, yeah, but who's going to believe me? It's like you're in an yeah. impossible situation. Yeah. And, and that's what makes that's what makes Chucky terrifying is not that it's a little doll who you can kick across the room with that he's a living doll with a serial killer in them in him. It's the fact that he can puppet master situations where later on people are blamed for entire series of murders that they didn't commit because who else is it? It can't possibly be the doll. That's ridiculous. No one would believe yeah. that. And and they really mine that for all it's worth later on. Which is brilliantly done. I don't think that they could have gotten away with anything else. Yeah, I think so too. It, it's so good. I, I mean, I would question myself, like, was that really, did that really happen? I think to Andy's credit, another thing I was impressed here is that he also confronts Chucky. Like he turns on Chucky and he's like, hey, Chucky. And he starts hitting Chucky. He's like, mm -hmm. why, why are you trying? Why are you doing this? Say something. He's doing it on purpose, mom. Like it, they're friends to the end, but Andy's the first one. He's got such a pure, he's so pure of heart and such an innocent that he's like, I didn't do it. It's a doll. He's, it, he's such a, he's so non-murderous at this stage, Andy. Right. <laughs> that, that it's, he has the makings of a badass already as a little six-year-old kid where he gets that great line at the end. Andy, no, please. We're friends to the end, remember? This is the end, friend. Yes, like, I love that line. Andy, I was like, Andy yes. a baller. I know. I was like, yeah, I get it. I would not have come <laughs> up with that at six. <laughs> uh, and you know what, too? We we don't see, because uh, I feel like it would have been terrifying if we had seen it, Chucky threatening Andy. Like, mm -hmm. you can't tell anyone about me or I'll kill you. We don't see that happening. Because Andy right. mentions, like, hey, I was threatened. He's going to kill me because I told you. And yeah. I wonder if they added that scene and how it would have affected things. I think it works better the way it is because it it does even unless you've I don't really know how much they gave away in the marketing for this movie. I have to imagine at least they lured you in with the doll as a murderer. Check it out in theaters. Right. <laughs> uh, but without that foreknowledge, you can you have at least some deniability of like, well, I guess the doll. I, we saw that killer at the beginning. We don't know what's going on exactly, but like, what is going on? Like, is this is this kid? crazy like it's it could have been one of my favorite kinds of twists where i don't know if, you, if you've seen the movie ready or not the horror movie yes. from a couple of years ago okay good mm -hmm. then if i spoil it for you it won't ruin anything we're good the whole yeah. crux <laughs> of that movie is is there a curse are these people all gonna die if they don't kill her or are they crazy and the answer is yes <laughs> the yeah. answer is both of these things can be true and so the movie toys with is the doll crazy is, is the doll possessed is the child a little unhinged? Are they working together? Is it both? Like, what's the deal? And you don't get the confirmation of, of what exactly is going on until later. And so he has that little that little extra element that, yeah, hopefully the kid isn't, the six-year-old kid isn't a murderer. But then again, this is coming out a decade after Michael Myers' Halloween, the original Halloween opened with a child murdering, I think, a couple people from a POV shot, which is not that much dissimilar from 
some of the POV shots of Chucky in this movie. Right. His POV shots remind me of like those diaper commercials where like the running happening (laughs) in the hallway. (laughs) It makes me think of like uh, Stewie and Family Guy. Oh my gosh, yes. Like running behind the sofa (laughs) and stuff. Or like The Omen that came out, I think Mm -hmm. probably like a few years before this. I think that was like late 70s, early 80s as well. Yeah. So there was a, a vibe of killer children happening. Around yeah, because when horror. was Children of the Corn as well? Exactly. So I, I like... Kids are creepy. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> I have a four and a half year old. Sometimes That's right. <laughs> sometimes they are creepy. It's I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> but, I don't but yes, have kids. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I think that that lends itself to, to making things a little more, at least unsettling, if nothing else. But I also think that it's there's that moment that really stuck out to me this time watching it. And like I said, I've seen this all the way through at least probably at least three times just over the years, including last year when I got this whole box set and really fell in love with this franchise. They're they going there. Andy's in the hospital is with Dr. Ardmore and Karen and uh, Mike are already Mike has already been attempted murdered by by Chucky with the strangle in the back seat, which is a great sequence, by the way. Yeah. That I wanted to make sure we shout out. Chris Sarandon is is a, is a, a boss at so many different things oh, in the, so in the 80s and 90s. Prince Humperdinck in The Princess yes. Bride, Jerry Dandridge in Fright Night, the speaking voice of Jack Skellington from The Nightmare Before Christmas, all of that. He's a legend for, for like, for people that are into this shit, especially. Oh, he definitely is. And so Karen is is trying to, they're basically investigating the real cause of what's going on more than the cops at that point. So then she asked the little girl and the little girl is the one that's like, oh, she said that he's going this way or Chucky's, Chucky was running around. And what I thought that was interesting is that it's really, it has a theme of as much as kids can be creepy, <laughs> look to the children. It's mm-hmm. a theme like, I believe the children are our future and teach them well and let them lead the way thing <laughs> that, that it's, they're smarter than the previous generation. They're more on top of what's really going on because they see things that grownups don't see. It sounds cheesy in like a polar express way, but it, but it, it's, I think an underlying theme throughout certainly these first three movies where Andy, the, the child protagonist essentially is more clued in to the, to what's really going on than literally every adult around him. Well, I think that's also, too, because was it like children more uh, susceptible to the strange and unusual and imaginary friends being one of them? Ghosts sometimes. Kids can see ghosts or some adults aren't because they're not as open. So having a talking doll, definitely like the children would be very aware of that. Exactly. <laughs> and you using this term strange and unusual so it feels like Lydia from Beetlejuice. So uh, another, she was my icon. She so. was great in that. That's, a, that's another movie that I need to cover on the show at some point. And it came out the year before this. So again, I think there's something something in the air in the late 80s where they're like, hey, kids can see stuff. We should probably listen to them and give them a voice. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, right. Is what I, is, <laughs> seems more like Tim Burton and Don Mancini and a lot of these creators are, are trying to put out there. Uh, and the, the crazy thing too about this one is that we, Brad Dourif is in this one, has the most like actual FaceTime in this movie, probably. Well, I guess, I guess Curse of Chucky. He has, a, there's a couple yeah. flashbacks. That's probably the only other one, which is, which is fun because they have to make uh, 25 year old, years older Brad Dourif <laughs> look like he does here and, and try and match up with the circumstances that led him to that toy store. 
but we get a little bit more like it, it's a cold open on the Lakeshore Strangler, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. You're just like right in the thick of it at the very beginning as Charles Lee Ray is running away from mid shootout. And, and then you see his, his getaway driver heads off and it's not until he has sees the doll that he's like, well, I guess this is the best chance I have. What do you think about how effective this movie is as at, at introduce, introducing us to Charles Lee Ray with basically minimal information so that all the other sequels can build on, well, he was, Curse of Chucky teaches us that, oh, he was really obsessed with like families and he fixated on on that. And then he had this girlfriend, Tiffany, and she was the, the, the Bonnie to his Clyde, so to speak. How do you, what do you feel about how this movie gives us the bare minimum for Charles Lee Ray? I like the bare minimum because as you stated, it does allow for growth and expansion later on. Plus the minimum that they they showed us, I think adds on to the suspense. We don't know much about him as a serial killer. We know he's called the Lake Shore Strangler. So obviously he likes to strangle people. That's about as much as <laughs> we really get to know. And right. I think him finding a doll is a last desperation to get away. It's really unnerving because you don't know what he's capable of. And especially as a doll, as he gets in this like lovely single mother's apartment because we know she's trying her best with her job at the jewelry department and isn't it didn't save enough money and and now found the doll of her kids dreams at that moment and yeah. i think slowly discovering having him know the voodoo ritual at first i was like Oh, that's right. He knows the voodoo ritual. How did he even know that? And then as meeting his friend who was like, you're using this for evil. So then it allows, well, what else can he do? Which I think sets right. up for sequels. Like, oh, what else is he capable of? That's a good point, actually. Like every time I watch this, I always almost forget that there's that whole sequence where he goes to see the the voodoo Dr. Death, I think he's called, or I forget what he calls him in the movie, but where he gets all that knowledge where he's taught how to how to live forever and what and we don't know what else he he knows that's a good point like if they did on the show they could have him have him have all of these other skills and he's like oh i know we could do this and i can transform my soul into multiple bodies at once or or whatever well i mean spoilers but he does some version of that later on but we also see voodoo dolls for the first and only time in the franchise in this scene. So I think it does yeah. allude to the fact that there could be a lot more possibilities leaning into the voodoo side of it. And even Chucky is like, when you were telling me all this stuff, I was like, that's probably a bunch of crap, but look, here I am. <laughs> I know. I this doll. And I love like they threw in that humor too, that dark yes. humor that like, <laughs> It, it's a little jarring at first because he's unpredictable and he's human. And I think that's the key too. the whole time. Like, yeah, Chucky's in this doll and he can only do so much, but he's still human. He still has all these like carnal desires and rage. He has human rage. And I think Charles Lee Ray is also frustrated that he's trapped in this body. And I think Duraf channels that into his performance about he sounds even more pissed off than, than he does, you know, than he would normally because he's like, I'm in this little plastic body and I need to get, he's, he's constantly frustrated. And he's like, all I want to do is get into this kid's body 
which sounds worse than it is, and yeah. and and reclaim my life and be human again. And I think that's it's an interesting arc that like at the end of Seed, which is one of if I had to pick a, one of the top ten moments of this franchise, that moment might be one of them because they're this is obviously spoilers for Seed, which we're way that's way down the line. But they're doing the whole ritual to try and and get into Jennifer Tilly and her chauffeur's bodies to transfer their souls. And he's like, what to hell with this? I don't even want to be human. He's like, I'm Chucky the killer doll. And I dig it. Like he comes around and he has a, a turn in there where after five movies, he's like, what? I, I can, I've been making this doll thing work for me for like 20 years. So I, I'm going to ride this doll thing out and see where it takes me. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. It's I would assume having him catch on fire and then being shot in his forming human heart because that that's a little weird too like transferring his soul was gonna make him human and a human life doll which i think is honestly also terrifying (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) this franchise plays fast and loose with the rules of that too because yeah there's some movies later on where the his head gets knocked off and he's it's still just like a doll's head that gets knocked off a doll's body and then there's other scenes where they've only been transformed briefly and like there's organs pulsating over under their battery uh, compartment and stuff. So, I mean, they're the rules of this. It's, it feels weird in, in this franchise to critique the rules of the killer dolls and their so voodoo possession and stuff, but it, it, they do pick and choose what they want to keep and what they want to let go though. Shooting only through the heart. That's one that goes where there, he gets killed multiple different ways that don't only, only involve the heart. And yeah. then this one and the second one, I don't know if the third one sticks to that. I forget, but where he has that, he has to transfer her soul, his soul into the first, the body of the first person to whom he's told his secret, yes. which is why he has that, that scene here where he laughs. He's like, oh, the first person I told was a six-year-old boy. I, I mean, it's like almost like a Landis Morissette song could be playing that isn't ironic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't you think? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I love it. I like that that the rules as they are here, like it's presented, the basic rules are presented to us and then they evolve and change over time. And there's an amulet involved at one point in, in doing the the voodoo chant. There's also like the, the, sometimes it seems like the chant is this long incantation. And sometimes he just says, he just says one phrase and like, give me the power I beg of you. And it's over. It, it depends what yeah. they needed to be for the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little loosey goosey, but I feel like it works for what it is. It does, it does. I've said this on I I I brought this up in other talks on this on this series, and it's it's not a criticism. It's just something that I'm like, I, it's interesting how certain things get dropped and certain things get reintroduced in a different context because they serve that story and how the how the franchise evolves in a certain way. For them mm-hmm. to be like, yeah, we don't want to have to have him stuck on the one person that he told. Let's just open it up a lot. And that's really what this franchise does as it goes along. It opens up so much more than what this premise would seemingly allow to the point that one of the only moments, one of the only really overtly comedic moments in here that stood out to me is when he's sitting on the elevator. Look, George, some child left their doll in the elevator. Leave it alone. Whoever left it there will come back looking for it. Ugly doll. Fuck you. I Which is love like, that. 
It's, it, I feel like Don Mancini was like, I, I'm going to slip this line in there. Like that's, yeah. that's him throwing a little bit of, of the hint of what's to come later on when he really sinks his teeth in into the series and gets full creative control. And I, I love that. I think it's, it's, it's funny moment. Oh, that was such a good moment and because it just makes it so much that more realistic in a way. Like if I was trapped in a doll's body, I'd be like, fuck you. Like I don't got much <laughs> choice. choice here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the doll, the, I, I'm really curious how the peddler got the bloody doll out of the crime scene, first of all. And not yeah. only that leaves the batteries in the box. It's like, okay, I don't know. It just, a lot of that is, again, it just seems very random to me. Well, uh, I and feel it's like, like it's interesting that the batteries were still in the box. Right. Yeah, to begin with, because you would feel like that would have been knocked out to begin with. It's also in, in a movie where a serial killer transfers his soul into <laughs> the body of a doll. The fact that that doll that apparently goes for a hundred bucks in the store in 1988 comes with batteries might be the most far-fetched thing in this movie. That's true. Also, the guy was willing to take 50 bucks for it, which is nothing more... Normally peddlers with that those out of stock dolls would be like 200 bucks. Right, exactly. Exactly. Also, that <laughs> actually how did he know the phrases to say for the doll? That's and a good like because I was wondering about that. I was like, did he like study the box somehow? How it's, would he and maybe know? it's it's built into the doll. It's programming and then maybe he's his soul merges with that programming because buzz lightyear it has like all the buttons and stuff like and he can also talk i keep going to toy story because it's like the oh, other side yeah. of the coin that that he knows how, well how does buzz lightyear instinctively know when andy comes in the room i have to stay still was well, just like hey i'm a space ranger i'm stranded here why, why doesn't he go into his whole spiel when the people come in the room it's an instinctual thing i guess part of inherent in the programming of the uh, of the toy Right, you're right. Oh, I like that. Okay, yeah. The kills in here, also this being the first installment, are obviously pretty basic. I think mm -hmm. the probably the the doctor with the electro electroshock is probably the most gruesome that we see. Is there any are there any of the kills that specifically stand out to you? Because obviously, like these are they're pretty straightforward in this one. They they really are. I mean. I I do enjoy, not enjoy, because that just sounds wrong, but um, Aunt Maggie's death, only because I like how it was done in the way that, like, Psycho was done. You yeah. don't see who it is, so in your mind, it could be Andy. And and to Maggie's credit, she was a friend to the end. So <laughs> she was. she's got that on her side. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One so, thing... You know, I, yeah, I, I, I just love when... I love the less is more approach in horror. Most of the movies that I hate um, that aren't campy, because I will say that right. the camp horror is a specific genre and you are allowed to do things that you shouldn't be allowed to do mm -hmm. because 100%. it's there to serve a purpose. But movies like, like The Boogeyman, if you remember that one, mm -hmm. when it's actually a really good movie, suspenseful, up until the very end where they show the boogeyman and then gets ruined and i think kills like that like it that was a brilliant kill when the less is more approach before we get the strangling in the car yeah i, I mean that car sequence though 
Don't get me wrong. That was pretty baller. <laughs> you mean you mean the uh, strangle attempt on on Mike? Yeah, when he's and then he's like driving he the car and then break. trying to like pull pull. He's like pulling Chucky's <laughs> hands or feet or whatever off the pedal, off trying to get them off the pedal while he's like crouched down. Oh my gosh! To, and then the knife br- comes uh, between him. Whereas. Yes. Uh, I, I wanted I want to be on set that day where Chris Sarandon is just like I don't know I'm just ju- I'm just jumping around trying to avoid a, a killer doll I'm not sure my my friend Tom we worked with Fright Night together and he's like come in it'll be fun and I'm like I don't understand what's happening right now right well that that knife was a little close to him at times too I was like oh, yeah. almost got him yeah yeah watch out Chris Sarandon um, yeah. that puppet could have taken want- you out. <laughs> I, seriously, I want more of of them. I I know for the show, I know Alex Vincent is is on board, and I know mm-hmm. uh, Christina Lee, who played Kyle from the second one, is is supposedly on board. Obviously, Brad Dourif and Jennifer Tilly. I would like Chris Sarandon and uh, Catherine Hicks to make some appearance because canonically they're still around. Yeah, and, and he talks to his mom at one point, and later in the series, uh, I think in the post credit scene of Curse. And mentions Mike, so they're in contact. So there, there, there's opportunity there. And then the other thing I noticed in here that I feel like could be something that they can use is that he starts transferring his soul into Andy, but he doesn't get a chance to finish it. So like, while I'm thinking, uh, if I'm tra- if I'm Don Mancini, I would use that to my advantage and lean into well, maybe that the fact that their con- that connection was made. There's some, I don't know, there's some not to invoke uh, the Harry series. Potter. Involved. Yeah, not to invoke that. But there's some Harry Voldemort connection there that was made yeah. between Chucky and Andy that even decades later, maybe it could be like a metaphor for the trauma that Chucky caused Andy as a kid. And they can't, Chucky or Andy can't let go of Chucky, obviously, because he's really intense about torturing him and everything in Curse. And Chucky can't let go of Andy. Nika, much later, taunts him with the fact that, oh, what happened to Andy Barkley? You never got him either. And, and so they're like, they can't, yeah. <laughs> they can't quit each other, basically. Is what I, and I you wish can do I could it without whatever you, you want. <laughs> you can well, do that you, with whatever you want, <laughs> but well, they you, define each other. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. And honestly, too, if I was Andy, to this day, I feel like I would still have dreams and nightmares. You could almost yeah. have a dream dream sequence that you don't know it's a dream until he wakes up but it could be like Andy sleeping turns over and instead of maybe his wife or boyfriend that he's hugging he's hugging Chucky the doll again mm-hmm. and it like turns like we're gonna be best friends forever Ugh, yeah that would that would be more like but I feel like that could work it's like post-traumatic stress disorder exactly exactly and I feel like that's this one specifically is really all about childhood trauma. And that's mm-hmm. that's what this franchise is about generally. But that's this specific one is about how this the events of this movie and the next two, obviously, for yeah. Andy. Really <laughs> it's like it's like the Scream franchise where you're like, man, Sydney's been through some shit. And then like everyone, by the time you get to the third one, she's like off the grid, living in like an undisclosed location. Um, right. She's <laughs> just like, I just don't want to talk to another human being. I'm just gonna stay here until I rot. Uh, and I think the way that Andy evolves later on when we see him, 
there's so much, there's so much potential for them to really dig deep into who that character is, who he's become, his relationship to Chucky, how it's affected his relationships to everyone else in his life. Cause not to talk so much about curse, but this is really where Andy's journey starts. And that curse and cults are where, where we know it is so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cult of Chucky starts with him on a date and, and she Googles him. And so he's, she's immediately weirded out because he's clearly something's still off with him. He, we, he goes home and he's got the Chucky head in the safe and he's got yeah. like an arsenal of, of weaponry ready to, to go to take on the, the Chucky apocalypse essentially. And, and I think yeah. that's, there's so he, he's become such an interesting character where that you wouldn't expect from the six-year-old kid just saying Chucky did it. And I, I really love the way that Don Mancini was able to, to build him just in the last few years. Yeah, it, it's honestly, I love it. It's reinventing it without going overboard, if that makes yeah. sense. And it, yeah, it really does. I haven't seen The Call of Chucky in quite ooh. some time. Yeah. Which I'll probably do a marathon because this has just sparked my <laughs> my obsession again with with. Well, that's what I'm saying. When I got the box set last year and then I decided to do this show, I was like, well, crap, I gotta, I gotta talk about these movies. Cause there's a, there's a lot to unpack. Like it is, it, they, it sounds silly, but these movies are deep, like in, in their yeah. own way. Like there's a lot of themes in this one. Like I said, the parent child thing. And later when Don Mancini has more involved, it, it deals, deals with a lot of there's a lot of queer fans who have read some of the themes into those movies and mm-hmm. Seed of Chucky delves into like gender identity with, with yeah. Glenn slash Glenda. Like there's a lot of things going on in here. And I think the, the way that the, the story unfolds, it never really betrays its characters, even when it's going from horror to comedy and then back to the amalgamation of horror and comedy in the last couple, especially in cults. Yeah. Uh, it's, it leaves every, it leaves it in a really interesting place for the show where they have now this melting pot of characters and tones and themes that it's like, I don't know, I have no clue what to expect when this thing, when when the series starts, because it literally can go anywhere because all of these movies have literally done pretty much everything I can imagine. So I, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do next with it. Me too. I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, does Cult of Chucky, he doesn't have a kid, right? He doesn't, that, no. So... Okay, Robert, here's my pitch. Ooh. Andy has a son or a daughter or non-binary kid, right? What if they discover the show, Good Time Buddies, (laughs) and becomes obsessed with it and, like, maybe finds, like, some of Andy's old toys and, like, in his grandma's house. Yeah. And picks up a Chucky of his own that would cause Andy to go into trauma immediately and to try and keep him away. I, I I don't know. There's something there though. I I think I know. I think you're right. And I think (laughs) part of, part of what makes that concept work is first of all, we see in a cult of Chucky that Andy's living alone and he's, he's, that's pretty much all we know about him. He's in contact yeah. with his mom. He's in contact, presumably with, with, well, he's in contact with Kyle because she shows up in a post credit scene. And I think like the unrated version of cult or whatever. 
but they never explicitly say, I never got married. I never had kids. He could have been married, had divorced. We haven't seen him for like 20 years. Right. So we don't know what's going on. He could have a kid and it could have, the kid could live with the mom because Andy is not all there. And right. so that's, that's something that could easily be squeezed into his backstory, not retcon, but just like fleshing it out in the way that the introduction of Tiffany doesn't contradict anything that we know about Chucky. It just adds layers. Well, yeah, it's plausible that Chucky would have had a girlfriend at the time. It's like, of course. And she probably would have been as crazy as he is. So I think that that works from that perspective. I think they could easily do that. Secondly, and I'm speaking as a parent, when you're a parent of a child, you're constantly worrying about messing your kid up in the way, not messing your kid up, but like affecting them and causing them trauma, like the trauma that was caused to you. So you mm-hmm. constantly reevaluate the way you were raised, the way your your parents' style of, of child rearing influences your own subconsciously, like without you even realizing, you start taking on the temperaments of your own parents with your children. And it's like you trying to Inner, there's an inner struggle between trying to be better than your parents were to you, but also honoring the elements that they taught you that were useful and trying to filter that out and define for yourself what you want you help to help your kids to be. So having, having Andy's child, son, daughter, whatever, discover the good guys phenomenon and bringing it back could awaken that that instinct in Chucky or uh, in Andy that like oh I can't let my child be affected by this trauma in the way that I was and then yes. that's setting him off on a whole on his on whatever quest the series sends him on uh, right that's kind of true I mean in a different direction really Andy probably wouldn't want the child to know him at all right of course and that leads down a rabbit hole to knowing who their father is and discovering his sordid past of trauma that Andy left so he wouldn't find. Yeah. There's yeah, something there. I like that. I think so. <laughs> I think so. I'm I think, ready to write I it. Bet- <laughs> I think between your angle with Andy's child and my thing with the the connection between him and Chucky, I think we have yes. we have we have a solid. The, the seeds of a solid spec script ready. There I think to let's go. write it, Robert. We're going to. I think so. I think so. It's too bad they're already in production, but maybe. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> maybe Mancini will hear this and be like, ooh, season two. Let me write that. Exactly. <laughs> bring that, bring some of those things in. Call us. Uh, but <laughs> exactly. We were obviously passionate about this franchise. Is there anything about the original Child's Play we haven't talked about before we move into the final section here? I liked how fast it got into things. It wasn't completely drawn out. Like, yes, we didn't hear Chucky speak until what you said, like 45 minutes in, but yeah. it was moving pretty quickly. Like, we understood right away. Andy likes this show. We understand single mom. We understand, okay, she's going to do whatever it takes. Oh, she got the doll. And it's like, it really happened. The pacing was so well in this movie. Yes. She, she's motivated a lot by also trying to be mother and father to Andy, whose mm-hmm. father, it sounds like, passed away at some point in the near, in like probably the last year or two. So it's Andy's still dealing with the grief of his losing his father. Because at one point, Andy tells his mom that Chucky said that, oh, he's an angel and daddy sent him down from heaven or whatever bullshit story Chucky's feeding Andy. Right. So so you you get all of that very quickly. Why her getting the stall to keep her son happy is so important to her that she's willing 
to buy a black market version of of the good guy doll in like last ditch effort that she's barely getting by. And like, yeah, I think, and then think the, honestly, you could say that for all seven of these, like these are all 85 to 95 minutes ish. They're very tight. They're very economical in their storytelling. And this movie only had like a $9 million budget, even with all the, the puppets and all that stuff. And it made 33 million domestically wow. and 44 worldwide. So it did turn to solid profit for even in 1988. So I think, yeah, all that you said is true. It's it's really streamlined. And I think that helps helps keep the audiences engaged for sure. Mm-hmm. So just winding down here, what in your opinion, Brie, is the legacy of this franchise? What does it contribute to cinema or to the horror genre specifically? What is, what is Child's Play's significance as a franchise? Starting off, the first three movies had a different intent, which I think is fine. And like you said, write a check. You took off from there into that more. It allowed us to enjoy Chucky in a way that he somewhat represents the misunderstood in a weird way. Mm -hmm. And not to say killing is good at all, but I feel like coming from like certain backgrounds I feel like there's something in that oppression letting loose in a way to make it relatable. And But I do think the first three movies are iconic in their own way. Maybe not so much the third movie, but the first two specifically because it had a different feel. Yes, there was some of that snarky comedy from Chucky. That is great. But I think those two movies are like we've been talking about the childhood trauma the the more what you think as a kid is friendly could turn on you. So I think there's that whole betrayal in a sense as well. Like the childhood things that are are supposed to be our friends, that are supposed to be um, friendly and we're supposed to be content with them can turn on you and we have to find a way to adjust. And yeah, sometimes no, we can't. Well, that's and that's been Andy's whole arc. Is he, he hasn't been able to adjust, and it's, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think you're you're hitting on the fundamental reason why I think this movie has endured so well, and why it inspired an entire media franchise because there there is something universal about this innocence being being twisted and perverted and and turned against you, like you were saying. To the to, there's a loss of innocence. That's essentially what this movie is about. Mm-hmm. That's that's what the last shot of Andy walking. It starts and he's watching the show and he's like, cool. And he's just like a, a like carefree six year old kid. And it ends and he's he's seen some shit. Like he's yeah, he really has. going to therapy for decades. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. It's a loss of innocence and how life robs you. Life or killer dolls rob you of of your childhood. It's it, it, yeah, it's it's really a deep thing in a way, and that's why I think this movie is easy not to write off. Oh, like, oh, that's just some campy shit from the 80s. I'm like, actually, no, take a look at it. There's more going on than you might think in really all of these. But I think this yeah. one has to had to have been a little more front loaded with some of those themes and some of those messages, I guess, in order to inspire such a, a you know devoted fan base. Where we're talking in 2021, it's been... 30 something years and and there's people are still like more chucky more chucky i think there there's a lot there and just the the notion of having a a a character whether he's a serial killer or not 
a character in a body that's not his own. It, it does lend itself to a, a journey of self-discovery, which is why... Mm-hmm which is why Don Mancini being a gay man directing Seed of Chucky for the first time and having that the camera pan up and that triumphant music in a way, the music swells when he, when Chucky's like, what, I'm a doll. This is my thing. Yeah. I'm going to own it. And this, this is who I'm, I'm going to ride this out. I'm, st- I'm tired of denying the fact that I'm like, well, I'm a doll, but really I'm supposed to be a human. So I just got to make that happen at some point. It's like, no, no, I'm a doll. This is my deal. Look at all the posters. Everybody knows, oh, I'm going to go see Seed of Chucky, the new killer doll movie. That's my thing. Yeah. So I'm going to, uh, that's what I want to be from now on. And thank you very much. I'll, I'll pass on the human body. And it, I it's think so interesting. That, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, go for it. Go for it. It's so interesting how we're touching upon, it's almost like Chucky has his journey of self-discovery, yes. self, yeah. uh, like owning who he is. You're right. And like taking Absolutely. charge of that. And really not caring anymore, like most people who had to be closeted for a lot of their lives and and still have to be. It's like, no, I can take charge of who I am and I can appreciate me for what I am. On the flip side, there's Andy who has had his childhood ripped away from him, his innocence taken away, and is trying to learn how to live with the haunting of that. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. We're really deconstructing this. This is like a, a child's play seminar. I didn't know it was going to get this deep, but yeah. Yeah. There's a, that's what I'm saying. That's, I'm, that's why I'm excited. There's so much potential for this. And that's why the best yeah. horror sci-fi fantasy is all metaphors for real life, real life issues, real life topics that are relatable to the people watching them. And I think all, both yeah. of those things are, are relatable to a lot of the fan base. And that's why people gravitate towards these movies. In yeah, addition almost- to, the, the cool puppetry, the, 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 yeah. the like, creative kills and all that other fun stuff. But Andy and Chucky are two sides of the same coin. Yes, very much so. And you're right. There is a weird Harry Voldemort thing there. I think so. They just need to sit Come down on, for Nancy. tea and hash it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chucky so and Andy start a we, podcast together. <laughs> I would... You joke, but if Alex Vincent and Brad Dourif did a podcast in character, I would be the first one to be like, eh, follow. (laughs) Yes. Adding that to my cue. So as we wind down, normally this is where I ask, like, does the movie deliver on its predecessor? Is this a smooth ride or a a wrong turn? But this is the first one. So I guess based on the fact that we've been speaking about this for an hour, obviously we think this movie is worth watching. It's worth recommending. So this was, I'm assuming, a smooth ride for you. I think it's a smooth ride. I think there are powerful moments like we we touched upon. I think there are creepy moments which add to suspense and gives it an iconic horror icon status. And then there's that, that underlying funny underbelly to it all, that dark humor that's just has not gone away. And I think this is a great setup. I think this is a great first movie to have in a franchise it's it's iconic. It is. And, and now is the time I'm going to ask you for your ranking of the franchise. You have your ranking for the seven Child's Play Chucky movies. And I'm yes, curious how far towards the top this one will be. So my number one is Bride of Chucky. I, I love I it. Sus- I suspected it was between that one and this one. Yes. And then, so Bride of Chucky, then Child's Play. And then I have to put Child's Play 2. Right after that okay. one, because it scared the bejeebus out of me. Then <laughs> it would have to be Seed of Chucky, Curse of Chucky, Cult of Chucky, and then I think Child's 
Play 3 is on the bottom of my list. Okay. Yeah. Solid. And again, I like to stress this for people. All seven of these movies are worth watching, are interesting. And I think generally... Child's Play 3 is probably the one that has the least going on. Just it's, it's, it, it, Child's Play 2 somehow managed to not feel like a complete retread of the first one because of the foster family and the introduction of Kyle and stuff, as we'll get into next episode. But Child's Play 3, I think, is where they were like, I don't know, he goes to military school and, and they jump in time. So you don't even have Alex Vincent back. So there's already yeah. a disconnect there, which is unfortunate. But yeah, I'm, I'm really, so what I'm going to do at the end of this at the end of this run is I'm going to tally everyone's ranking, score them, and see oh. what the definitive ranking is among the seven guests for this. I love that. So I I suspect it's going to be Bride and the first one neck and neck because generally the consensus I'm seeing is that those two seem to be almost always at the top in one order or another. And I I, I agree with you. I think. Bride of Bride of Chucky and this one feel the freshest. They feel like they mm-hmm. have the most most to say in a way, and they have the most the clearest vision behind them. And they're also probably I, I feel like Bride of Chucky might be the most fun to watch of all of these, just because it is. Seed, it's so good. Seed of and Chucky is fun in like a wild sense, but like it, it's it doesn't it, it it there's it's it's messier than than Bride. Bride is so mm-hmm. tight storytelling wise. And then the, we'll talk about this later, obviously on the Bride of Chucky episode, but the, the parallel between Chucky and Tiffany and Jade and Jesse and, and those relationships and Jennifer Tilly is like a godsend to this franchise. A hundred percent. I think it's her introduction that just makes me, made me fall in love with this franchise to be quite honest, because, because of my childhood trauma of the second (laughs) movie. (laughs) Yeah. She is. She's so. She's so great, and that's why I was so glad with C that they were able to figure out a way to give Jennifer Tilly more FaceTime because mm-hmm. that's we need more. More every movie needs more Jennifer Tilly. She's so fun in these. hundred percent. Uh, it's very very entertaining. Follow on Twitter as well. If people haven't, I did one of those whatever those things chirp D or whatever the thing you see people do on Twitter where they're like, "This is my circle, and these are the people in my circle that I follow or whatever." And Jennifer Tilly was in there, and I was like, "Ooh, I got to get Jennifer. T- I'm going to try and I yeah. tag Jennifer Tilly. I'm like, I need to podcast with all these people looking at you, Jennifer Tilly at Jennifer Tilly." So yeah, that would be yeah. She's super cool. I I I think a lot of interesting conversations to have with this franchise and I'm looking forward to getting into them, getting into them on this show. But Bree, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Child's Play. We got really into it. I didn't realize we were going to mine it for so much detail. I think Don Mancini might would, if he listened to this, I think he'd be like, well, damn, I didn't even think of that. That's true. (laughs) So kind of uh, subconsciously, I guess I did do that, but thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about Child's Play. Can you tell people where they can find you and the Geeky Waffle on social media? Yeah, of course. So you can find me at Brie Osmude. It's my name and it's ridiculous. So I'm sorry. Just go to at geeky underscore waffle. You'll see me, you know, (laughs) we retweet ourselves. So find me through there. We're also online at thegeekywaffle.com. We are, that's where we house all of our podcasts, which Robert has been a guest star on several of them. So thank you for that. And yeah, come find us. We're we're just geeky. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bree, again. We'll definitely have to either get you on a, a future franchise 
or just do uh, do an episode of my other show, Close Watch, and uh, figure out how to do this again because this was a blast. That's for sure. If you ever do Beetlejuice, I am my my room is Beetlejuice right now. So <laughs> that's uh, it's black and white. I painted my bookshelf black and white to match my curtains that are black and white. So yes, I <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, we can, we'll definitely have to figure out an opportunity to talk about Beetlejuice for sure. Perfect. I love that movie too. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Robert. I had so much fun talking about Chucky it was a blast and yeah, I'm, I'm glad we d- dived into it from different perspectives. Big thanks to Bree from the Geeky Waffle for coming on to discuss 1988's Child's Play. What a great discussion to get us uh, off and running with this Child's Play Chucky franchise. We have six more of these in the queue as we build through this franchise into this fall's Chucky TV series on USA and Sci-Fi. But I want to know what's your favorite Child's Play Chucky movie? What's your favorite moment from this first film? Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. We'll catch you next time with Child's Play 2. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.